AEW Monday Nitro on TNT. World Television Title on the line. The debut of Chris Benoit as he faces Eddie Guerrero. Big and excellent. Hey, thanks, Eric. I'll take it from here. This is Tim Root, as always, your host of 20 Years from Nitro. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. I'm joined this week, as I always am, by my co-host, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing? Here we are. It's a seventh week, and we're finally getting our first television title match. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We will talk about that and all the rest of the action from the October 16th, 1995 WCW Monday Nitro as we do each and every week here on 20 Years of Nitro. Remember that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. And you can email us 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. But with that out of the way, let's get to this show. We are coming to you this week from Albany, Georgia. WCW country. Right in the thick of things. I don't have attendance numbers, but it seems like it's a pretty big crowd this week. Uh, nice big pyro to open the show and kind of the hype at the beginning is a largely centered around will sting join rick flair to take on arn anderson and brian pillman later in this episode yeah and that was that's news from last week because uh flair had planned on facing those two by himself but over the weekend things changed uh how did they change uh well i think it was on saturday night in which uh Ric Flair offered the or did Sting offer the opportunity or how did that argue? I think it was actually WCW Pro. Okay, uh, sort of a little known show of the many that they seem to be producing at this time, uh-huh. and I believe that it was Flair who asked Sting. Okay, uh, and Sting has some reservations due to the numerous times <laughs> that he has been screwed over by Ric Flair. In fact, Bobby reminds us in the opening that the last time they teamed together was five years ago in 1990, and. Uh, I don't remember the specifics, but I don't think it worked too well for Sting uh, back then. And I'm not sure. uh, And he's certainly wary uh, of the same thing happening to him now. And also a few weeks ago when um, Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman were interviewed, Arn Anderson said there was no way he's in the team with Sting because he betrayed him and put him in the hospital a few years back. Yep, that's right. That's right. (laughs) At the beginning, we see uh, Pepe, who this week is dressed as an alien. Uh, and Bobby has a good line right at the beginning. He asks Mongo to turn Pepe around, uh, basically, so he can look at Pepe's asshole, I guess. <laughs> but then when Mongo does, he says, oh, so that's where the batteries go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bobby, you are too much. He probably thought that up all week and was just, like, ready to go with it. We see the clip I mentioned from WCW Pro. The only additional thing to say about that is Sting says several times in this in this single clip, if you swerve me... I'm going to beat you up and don't swerve me. He keeps using this insider term. Um, And I don't know if that's kind of a conscious choice because as we know, WCW did uh, as time goes on, especially play a little bit more uh, with references to the dirt sheets and that kind of thing. Uh Um, So I'm not sure if this is an example of that or if Sting just accidentally was dropping some backstage (laughs) terminology. To start things off with our television champ, Diamond Dallas Page comes out along with the Diamond Doll, who is the first uh, lady that we have seen on the show. Yeah, that it, it was only once she showed up, I was like, oh, right, there's women, too. Oh, <laughs> they exist. The closest we got so far was the Taskmaster being dressed up as a woman. <laughs> so this is a, a, a an upgrade in that p- department. Absolutely. Kimberly Page is a beautiful woman. Yes. She really is. 
like a lot of wrestling women who are supposed to be attractive, especially in this time, mm-hmm. are kind of gross. Like I've never been a Sable guy. She she looks just really fake and disgusting, and yeah. I don't really like Deborah uh, McMichael, who later then of course goes on to WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Kimberly Page is gorgeous. Yes, I am in agreement with you there. Diamond Dallas Page, however, looks like garbage, mostly because <laughs> his tights are horrible. <laughs> They're like green and purple, and they've got a big uh, diamond sewn on the chest. And it looks like my mom sewed this for him for a Halloween costume. Like, they must have a professional seamstress on the, the payroll. I can't believe how shoddy his ring gear looks. Page Falkenberg started as a manager in the American Wrestling Association and was hired by WCW to do the same. Uh, he managed the fabulous Freebirds, Scott Hall, and some others, as well as doing uh, stints on color commentary before heading down to the WCW power plant for wrestling training at the tender age of 35 years old. He That's had, incredible. He, For one thing, he had to be the tallest manager in wrestling history. Yeah. Because he looks like a legitimate like 6'4", or something like that. And also, yeah, 35? That's older than I am now, and the thought of me going to wrestling school at my age <laughs> is outrageous to me. Uh, so that's really impressive, and yeah. it's uh, certainly no surprise that now at whatever age the guy is, his 50s or 60s or whatever, that he is like a fitness guru and a flexible freak with his DDP yoga. It makes sense that his body has lasted. He has been in WCW since 1991, uh, and this television title, which he won just back at Fall Brawl, the last pay-per-view, is his first title of any kind in the promotion. Uh, Kind of an interesting story. I started reading Eric Bischoff's book, and uh, Bischoff and Diamond Dallas Page really didn't see eye-to-eye in the past when they were working together. I believe that was in the AWA. Okay. Um, Yeah, he, he details, actually, they almost got in a fight at a bar but it ended up not happening, and he later apologized to Paige. And then he showed up for his WCW interview, uh, and it, or audition, I should say, and uh, they said, okay, well, the wrestler you're going to work with for this audition is Diamond Dallas Page. And Bischoff thinks, oh, shit, this guy hates me. And it turned out that DDP actually gave him a lot of good advice on what WCW did and didn't like in their commentators and uh, advice that Bischoff thought ultimately really helped him get the job. So... Oh. He kind of describes Paige in the book as being like a loud, brash, obnoxious asshole who is also one of the kindest, uh, like most generous guys you'll ever meet in your life. That so kind of- I really like that. I like the the idea of DDP being portrayed that way. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> that kind of that sounds a lot like an Eric Bischoff compliment, which is, <laughs> it's a compliment, but also an insult all wrapped in one. We finally get some resolution to a storyline that has been p- playing uh, out not on Nitro. Mm-hmm. It's mostly been relegated to Saturday night. Uh, we mentioned that Johnny B. Bad earned a title shot uh, for the U.S. title against Sting uh, back at Fall Brawl. Uh, and then we later learned that he didn't show up for that title match. Uh, we now see in a replay from Saturday night that uh, it was Diamond Dallas Page's kind of uh, bodyguard, Max Muscle, yeah, who was sort of caught uh, in a in a lie by Johnny B. Bad, admitting to puncturing all four tires of Johnny B. Bad's car. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's it's uh, Diamond Dallas Page's fault that Johnny B. Bad Johnny B. Bad never got his title match. So it seems like instead of giving him his title match, they're just going to give him one for the television title instead. Because <laughs> it's Johnny B. Bad isn't 
It's like he missed that opportunity in Sting, and that's gone forever, but we'll let right. you fight Diamond Dallas Page since it was his fault. Also, that uh, that interview in which they revealed that it was Diamond Dallas Page that was behind it yeah. uh, features Giant V. Bad giving the most like comically over-the-top left-hand punches to Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page, who sells it like he was just killed. Right. <laughs> it's so... And, and the thing is, as these two go uh, onto uh, a feud, that uh, they replay that that punch over and over mm. and over again. It's so <laughs> when, when when we talk about things you have to see and don't yeah. have to see, you have to see that replay. <laughs> it's amazing. Johnny B. Bad comes out to a lot of pyro and a pretty good reception from the crowd, uh, especially when he does his pandering frisbee junk that we've <laughs> talked about before. Uh, but before the bell, Diamond Dallas Page hits him with the belt in the back of the head, at which point Bischoff says, boy, did he get hamburgered. <laughs> the Diamond Doll looks appalled as DDP works the crowd, uh, just kind of building heat. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes Johnny Bad's confetti gun and he keeps going to the corner and acting like he's going to shoot it off. But eventually, uh, he just sort of lackadaisically lays back on Johnny Bad for the pin which he counts himself because this is not an official match. Right. And then after the three, he shoots the confetti gun into the crowd <laughs> from the ground still. Yeah. Um, so apparently the story on this is that Johnny B. Bad had injured ribs and he wasn't quite ready to go in the ring, but they wanted to further this feud. Okay. So that's the reason for the segment kind of playing out the way it does. I don't like the idea of, of promising me a match and then giving me something like this. But if you're not going to have the match and you do want to do some kind of angle... I do like the way this played out with mm-hmm. Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, he was really funny with the way that he leaned back on him and shot the gun after the three. Um, and the Diamond Doll did a suitable job looking uh, appalled and sad, which is certainly going to play out in the storyline in the weeks and months to come. So uh, and overall, I thought they did a good job with, with uh, the segment that doesn't really go the way that I typically like wrestling. And also, even though there wasn't a match, there was just the, the shot with the belt and the Diamond Dallas Page doing the pin, but uh, Bobby Heenan does the replay action for that. Right, and does the commentary as though it was an actual match, and I I thought that in itself made it worth the effort. The one thing I think that is a real problem here, though, is that guys get hit with belts all the time, mm-hmm. and in this case, Johnny B. Bad gets hit with the belt, and then sells being unconscious for like five minutes, yeah. and it makes him look incredibly weak. <laughs> uh, so. It's a good segment. It's got some funny bits, but it really hurts Johnny B. Bad, I think, probably more than it helps Diamond Dallas Page. And, and another thing, right before the match was supposed to start, uh, Eric Bischoff let us know that these two will be facing each other at Halloween Havoc, and he said that regardless of the outcome, they would face each other again. Yeah, save that. Have this non-finish be the reason they have a match at right. Halloween Havoc. Yeah, So, and that's the part I didn't like where Bischoff says that, and so I'm saying to myself, why should I be invested in this right. if they're going to face in two weeks anyway? The the benefit is now we we have a new Halloween Havoc match to hype up that pay-per-view. Yep. And, and uh, wrestling-wise, this is easily the best of the matches announced so far. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Diamond Dallas Page mm-hmm. versus Johnny B. Bad is a match that I want to I want to see the match, not because of whatever train wreck aspects you know, may come of it. Right. But I legitimately would like to see those guys wrestle each other. Yeah. It's certainly going to be better than say, you know, Ming versus Lex Luger again, 
or Kamala versus <laughs> Red Sand. The, the, the quality is not really that high set so far. After a commercial, Eddie Guerrero comes out uh, to some new kind of generic rock rather than that quasi-Latino yeah. riff that he had in his previous Nitro appearance. So it's less racist, but it's also a lot less memorable. Right. Uh, he is going to face the debuting Chris Benoit. They uh, hype Benoit, who comes down to the ring as the Canadian Crippler. Mm-hmm. I talked a little bit in my last episode about how he had a short WCW stint already, um, but they more or less act like that didn't happen. They say that he is from Calgary and he's come to WCW to take on the best competition. A uh, little background on Benoit. He trained at the Heart Dungeon and wrestled in Calgary and New Japan before going to WCW for a run that didn't really amount to much. He then went to ECW where he was booked as a very dominant heel, um, especially after he actually broke Sabu's neck uh, in a match, uh, which is how he got the nickname Crippler, which is kind of gross that he yeah. actually broke a guy's neck. And uh, But I believe he was not very comfortable with that nickname, but he accepted it because it did kind of go with the character. That sounds like a Paul Heyman sort of decision. Abs- exactly. <laughs> he then had to leave ECW when Paul Heyman forgot to renew his work visa. So he went back to Japan and basically wrestled there until WCW uh, decided to build this cruiserweight division and brought him back in. And he was one of the few guys in the cruiserweight division who I think they had the idea that they could put him with anybody. Mm-hmm. He could work with the cruiserweights, but he could work with a macho man or a flair or any of those guys. Yeah. Um, and just, I, I feel like most podcasts or, or really anything that ends up talking about Chris Benoit has to put out their statement on how they're going to handle him uh right i think from our perspective obviously it's terrible that he killed his family and himself uh that goes without saying but i'm not someone who is unable to watch his matches and appreciate the wrestling that's going on it's i'm not ever like i'm gonna sit down and watch the best chris benoit matches i'm gonna seek them out sure but if i'm watching a show and there's a chris benoit match Mm -hmm. i can watch it and i don't get the only time it really gets uncomfortable is, is when he comes out with Nancy as his valet. But in general, I'm able to dissociate the wrestler from 1995 with the horrible things that happened in 2005. Yeah, I feel like that I can kind of separate. There's like two different lives of Chris Benoit. Uh, the one beforehand where he was just kind of the straight, uh, no frills wrestler. Mm-hmm. And then whatever it was that, what sort of d- damage or... Uh, you know, whatever it was that uh, motivated him to do what he did. Right. Uh, you know, those that stuff happens a lot of years after the WCW, and it's far beyond anything that we're going to be covering. So, right. I, I would I would say rather than kind of uh, dwell on it or or to think like we have to be constantly addressing it. Right. Uh, just to say, you know. You're, you're coming to listen to the best of WCW. This is what happened during WCW. Anything that happens in advance, you, you'll just right. have to... Yeah, so if I say that Chris Benoit looks amazing in a match or anything like that, it should be tacitly understood that I'm not endorsing family murder, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm not one of these people who thinks right. he should be in the Hall of Fame or anything like that, but uh-huh. if he does good in a match, I'm going to say it. And if I accidentally use terminology like, say, he looks like a real killer in this match... I'm not trying to be funny. I'm right. not trying to make jokes, um, but that kind of thing might happen mm-hmm. because we're going to be talking about him an awful lot. So yeah. I just wanted to kind of get that out there uh, with him making his first real appearance on the show. Yeah. 
Which, by the way, when he shows up, he has the most extremely nondescript wrestling tights I think <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, they're just blue with a white star on them. Yeah. Um, they, seem, they seem like they're some sort of uh, tribute to Bret Hart. Or the uh, Dynamite Kid, I was thinking. Oh, um, yeah. Because no, that's, he was obsessed with Dynamite Kid. Yeah. But I just... I just remember the tights as being as unmemorable as possible. There is a lot of action in this match, and I, I'm probably going to call out more of the moves than usual. So uh, so bear with us as we go through this match. It's a great match. Uh-huh. Um, I would really encourage anyone listening to watch this match because it is excellent from top to bottom. Starts off with a lot of fast reversals. Everything is smooth and fantastic until one of the very few botches. Uh, Eddie kind of is going for like a 619 looking thing not not an offensive oh, move yes. uh-huh. but he's going to die he's acting like he's going to dive through the ropes but thinks second about it and swings back through the ropes mm-hmm. but instead he kind of gets hung up on the ropes and doesn't swing through yeah. fluidly it's one of the very few botches and it comes very early um but what he ends up doing is then going up to the top rope for a huge dive to the outside from the top rope just like he did in his last match yeah plancha time the announcers are doing a much better job of calling the moves in this match. However, mm. at this one moment yes. where it's the hugest moment uh, where uh, Eddie just gets so much air, Bischoff instead is talking that uh, is telling us that Hulk Hogan's going to be here tonight without his mustache. <laughs> oh, I was actually thinking about something else. There's a, there's another point. I don't know. I know it's when they're out of the ring that uh, Eric Bischoff does like a catch up. He catches up on the last like three or four moves and it oh, tells yeah. you like this. They did this and this and this and this. And that kind of goes back to what we have spoken about earlier where Bischoff uh, gets these tendencies where he wants to call every single move. Right. Yep. The action continues on the outside with Benoit whipping Eddie into the ring post uh, and then starting to whip Eddie's arm into it specifically. And at this point, Benoit starts working Eddie's arm throughout the rest of the match, uh, while both guys look incredibly crisp, incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. The announcers are doing a good job to sell the match um, and focus on it. Benoit gets some heat uh, shouting at Eddie, who's lying on the ground, and then he gets a real stiff-looking kick to Eddie's head and then a suplex onto Eddie's arm. So this is, of all the matches we've watched, I know we talked about it a little in one of the Arn Flair matches. Uh, this is one of the ones we've watched with a lot of traditional psychology with the isolation of a body part um, that's really followed through from beginning to end. Uh And everyone, all the participants, including the announcers, tell the story of Benoit hurting Eddie's arm. Benoit hits a few more Dynamite Kid-style snap suplexes. Eddie does a great job selling for him. Um, Eddie escapes a -a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and jumps off the second rope for a tornado DDT. Mongo says... (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Mongo says, these moves have never been seen before on planet Earth. And then he says, if you haven't seen that move before, referring to the Tornado DDT, which he has just said has never been seen on Earth, uh, if you haven't seen that move before, you have more rocks in your head than Bobby Heenan. So now I'm stupid if I haven't seen that move before, even though you just told me these moves haven't been seen on Earth before. (laughs) Fuck you, Mongo. (laughs) Also, fuck you for your needless going back to insulting Bobby at just random intervals where Bobby has not really been doing anything to pester you. I'm sure that he, he, what he was going for is like, if you're not enjoying this match. Right. But he he was just going a little bit too fast for his brain. 
he also uses the rocks in your headline a lot. Yeah. That is one of his favorite ways to call you stupid. Bischoff uh, takes a moment in the match to congratulate another Turner entity, the Atlanta Braves, for making the World Series. Oh, yeah. So uh, the Turner cross-promotion that we've seen with the mentioning CNN for the OJ verdict, mm-hmm. uh, they're definitely doing a, uh, making an effort to ingratiate themselves to the Turner broadcast, uh, to the Turner empire. Yeah. Eddie finally starts getting in some offense with a springboard hurricanrana and a side suplex followed by a vicious brain buster, uh, which he has been using so far in WCW as a setup for the frog splash. Yep. He then goes for the frog splash, but Benoit gets the knees up, uh, which is, uh, makes Eddie 0 for two on frog splash attempts on nitro because <laughs> Dean also got the knees up. Benoit then hits one of the sickest power bombs I've seen in my entire life. Yeah. Just, Holy shit. He destroys him, and you could just tell the reaction from the lack of reaction from the announcers. Not in a negative way, but more like they're stunned. Right. Because he annihilates Eddie Guerrero with that power bomb. Benoit then goes for a second power bomb, but Eddie managed to escape it. And then in just a fantastic job of the psychology of this match. Eddie punches Benoit with the arm that has been targeted the entire match by Benoit. Right. That then hurts him and he sells it really well. Uh, and Benoit hits him with a full Nelson belly to back suplex, which he kind of holds on for a bridge into the pin and he gets the victory. So it was just such a, Oh, I loved watching these two isolate a body part and then have it figure perfectly into the finish. Uh-huh. This match was by far the best match that we've watched as a part of this project. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. I put that down as a note too. And uh, that was kind of unexpected since just two weeks ago, we had Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, I th- Though that match might have been hurt by the breaks. Yeah, I thought that match was good. It just was the breaks and the announcers and uh-huh. Hogan all interfering with it. Yeah. So that was a great match. This match is an even better match, and it's actually paid the respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um Sure, they hype other aspects of the show, but that's always a part of wrestling, and that's pro- that's not really a bad thing, even. Yeah. Um, it's all kind of the timing of making sure you do it during rest spots and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this match, wow. You, you definitely, you should seek out this match on the network and make sure that you watch it, folks. Yeah. Bischoff, uh, following the match, tells us that the International Committee, whatever the fuck that is, <laughs> is considering establishing a cruiserweight division in WCW. And he explains that that's why we've had so many debuts lately uh-huh. of Malenko and Guerrero. And it is incredible uh, to think that this company, they added a television show. They added one hour a week. But they were an existing wrestling company with plenty of programming and pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. The amount of debuts we've seen in the seven weeks now that we've been doing the show is incredible. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the quality of the people they brought in. You know, everything from a guy like Benoit who is meant to be a very serious character to a disco inferno who is a complete goofball. Um, they've just, they're, they're all a lot of them anyway, are doing such a good job. Uh, it's really, I mean, they've got such an embarrassment of riches that Jerry Lynn is like the le- one of the least impressive debuts they've had. And I love Jerry Lynn, right? but he's just kind of a weird mass character that doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Um, so they're really, when it comes to acquiring new talent, when it's not guys that are just coming over from WWF, uh-huh. they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Whoever their like scouts are, are fantastic. I mean, their scout at this point is basically Paul Heyman, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Their scout is a guy who watches ECW and says yeah. him and him and him. <laughs> and their their working relationship with New Japan is paying huge dividends because yeah. that's also how they're getting guys like Scott Norton and Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are still also showing up in New Japan. Um, they're just sort of on loan occasionally to WCW. Yeah. And, and while they're mentioning the, the advancement of the Cruiserweight division, uh, to Bobby Heenan's credit, he mentions that he'd be excited to see these guys go against some of the bigger guys too. Yes, yeah. He, he mentions Chris. I, I think it was, it's mainly in reference to Chris Benoit, but he was mentioning how it would be that he thinks that these guys can kind of stack up. Yep. Um, and I, I just thought that was really, it was a really smart thing to say at the point. Absolutely. I believe we have a commercial here, but I didn't put one in my notes. But in any case, the next thing we get on the show is Mean Gene in the ring. The first thing he wants to do is plug his hotline, right. 1-900 number that you can call uh, for $1.49 per minute, assuming you have your all-important parents' permission, which I'm thinking most of the people that called this number did not probably have. Right. I think they were counting on you not having it and calling for at right. least a few times before Dad looked at the old phone bill. Right. That, that, that was kind of like uh, covering their ass. So it's like, well, <laughs> we did say they had to check. He makes a vague reference to a WWF star getting uh, the wrong end of a fight in a parking lot. Uh, this, of course, references the Shawn Michaels fight that we referenced in our last episode. Yeah. So he's giving us enough to kind of get us interested, but he's he's definitely saving the details for uh, those who want to pay him a dollar fifty a minute. Yeah. I. Every once in a while on like Reddit or or just elsewhere on the internet, I see people try to get like ask, uh, did anyone ever call one of those numbers and what was it like? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever actually seen someone who admitted that they did. <laughs> right. I've always just imagined that Mean Gene is just talking like in other news. Oh, sure. Sean Michaels, like when Homer calls the football gambling line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for gambling tips. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, and, and, and at this point, my initial reaction was, well, that's really weird that, uh, beforehand they've mentioned Shawn Michaels on the show, right but not here. Then I realized, well, that's the point, like to get it, you to find out. Yes. Yeah. So at this point he brings out the giant and Kevin Sullivan. So I guess this week WCW doesn't have a restraining order against them. <laughs> uh, or as you actually pointed out when we were discussing this before recording, it's more likely that. Uh, they never offer this explanation on the show, but Hogan is not actually in the building. So yeah. it's it's probable that they're just they need to keep them separated before the pay-per-view. Right. But there's no explanation. No. It's just as far as we, the television audience, go, last week they weren't allowed in the building. This week they are, I guess. Yes. And we've been promised Hogan without his mustache uh, and not in a way that made it clear that it was going to be just a pre-taped uh, promo. Right. So we thought that Hogan, you know, as far as we know, Hogan is here. He's going to be on the show. Hey, I and, and why are they promising him without his mustache when we've already seen him without his mustache? <laughs> At this point, we get an interminable pro, uh, promo from the Taskmaster oh and my. the Giant. The Giant's uh, a little more concise, but uh, I'm going to play for you now the audio of the Taskmaster going on quite a bit uh, about his past. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we're inside two weeks to Halloween Havoc in the Motor City when the Giant will be challenging Hulk Hogan in those monster trucks on top of Cobo Hall. Who knows what's going to happen to that? Then into the ring in a title bout. Of course, it's going to be the Giant, man against man, versus the WCW Heavyweight Champion, Hulk Hogan. You, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, you the one that has stirred the pot over recent weeks. 
Mr. Oakland, for months I've told everybody that I'm evil. For months I told Hulk Hogan he was the one that created me. Last week in Chicago, when Hogan walked the aisle and the whole world stood still because he was dressed in black and said, yes, Kevin Sullivan is evil. And yes, Hulk Hogan has an evil side. You see, Gene, there's a difference between myself and Hulk Hogan. From the day that I was born, I knew I was the personification of evil. In Hogan, there is a small part of goodness still left in the cockles of his heart. When we shaved his mustache and took his identity, took his puppy. dignity, the next thing he gave up, look at me, he gave up his colors. One more thing, Hogan. All these young Hulkamaniacs have followed you for one reason. You've been a winner. They've bought into this, saying their prayers, training, and taking their vitamins. After Detroit, these young Hulkamaniacs will become the children of the Dungeon of Doom. And without further ado, let me introduce you to the new and future WCW World Heavyweight Champion. The Giant, ladies and gentlemen. Hogan, when I get you in Detroit on that rooftop, brother, let me tell you something. When we lock up bumper to bumper, grill to grill, truck against truck, Hogan, I'm gonna push you all over that roof. I'm gonna try to push you off that roof. And when the jaws of life pull your miserable carcass out of that wreck and drag you into the ring, I will strip you of that belt. Do you understand what's gonna happen, Hogan? Me, Gene, do you wanna see the hand that destroys Hulkamania? <laughs> that thing is bigger than Moose Gowron's first basement. Thank you very much, the giant Kevin Sullivan. Eric Bischoff, let's get back to you. So, Dave, what did you make of the Taskmasters promo there? <laughs> it's really good that since I have this uh, world title match coming up between the giant and Hulk Hogan, yeah. that we get to hear more about the Taskmaster. Yeah, it's like they think that the giant can't talk, which he can't, in fairness. Right. But they're like, we're going to give him a mouthpiece, but they give him Kevin Sullivan, who is not really a good talker. Uh, and, and doesn't focus it on the giant. Right. I don't mind so much the content mm -hmm. of the promo, although I agree that the focus should be on the giant. Right. But I, I don't mind the content where he talks about his whole life. He knows he's been the personification of evil and Hogan's just now realizing the evil in his heart, blah, 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 blah. Right. But every single word is delivered with the same nasally whiny tone. Yeah. And there's just no variance in anything he says. So you you just end up getting like lulled to sleep. By yeah. The whole I mean, because he says evil in, in like this particular way. It sounds like he's repeating his sentences over and over again. Right. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Sullivan, we didn't really mention this when we talked about him in the prior episode where we went over a little bit of his background, but he is, during this period, WCW's head booker. 
So he is yeah. kind of in charge of the creative. He's booking the matches. He's uh, involved with the finishes. Um, and he he has a podcast of his own, actually, called Kevin Sullivan's Hell of a Deal, which is behind a paywall on it's MLW, and I don't know what that stands <laughs> for. Um, and it, I listened to just a bit of the first couple episodes today. And there is some interesting insight that he gives into this period, mainly in that he talks about why they went with this whole Dungeon of uh, Doom storyline. And he said that he was he was endeavoring to make WCW a more reality-based product. And certainly that was Bischoff's aim. Uh, but Hogan was not comfortable with that style. And, of <laughs> course, Hogan had creative control. Right. Uh, so he was trying to do things, especially because he was new to working with Hogan. He was trying to do things that Hogan was familiar with, beating up cartoonish monsters, uh-huh. uh, so that he could essentially gain Hogan's trust. So then, six months down the line, when he wants Hogan to convince Hogan to do something more reality based, Hogan will trust him. Uh, which Hogan is a very political, paranoid person. Yeah. So it might not, in actuality, it might not be the worst strategy. And Sullivan will admit, uh, or he does on this podcast, that maybe the Dungeon of Doom was not the smartest or best executed storyline, but he still feels that it was serving a purpose in ingratiating himself to Hogan, because if he hadn't been able to do that, he would not have been able to be an effective booker uh, in WCW. Sure. So th- there's certainly an interesting argument to be made there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you're watching the Dungeon of Doom, it it's hard to take that explanation and... Uh, use it as motivation to get through these slog of a segments like this one. But, you know, Kevin Sullivan talking about himself being evil. I mean, what's more evil than having a fucking paywall? (laughs) (laughs) The giant, uh, the giant that gives a promo and he's got Ricky Bobby syndrome. Ah, There we go. (laughs) Where he doesn't exactly know what to do with his hands. He just gesticulates for everything. He, and his hands are always doing the same thing. If he points, he points with both hands. Yeah. And Kevin Sullivan seems to be, I think, trying to help him. Mm-hmm. But it just comes across as he constantly is caressing one of the giant's hands while the giant's trying to talk. Right. And I'm not sure if he's trying to help, if he's trying to remind uh, the giant of like certain notes that they'd given him backstage, or if he's trying to emphasize the size of the giant's hands, because that's also a focus of the promo. The promo ends with the giant putting his palm over Mean Gene's face, and holy shit, his hand is gigantic. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, I it did it did seem like one of the one of Kevin Sullivan's last like indications was to do that hand thing, right? Uh, so that's kind of I, I agree. I think that's he was trying to make sure he's positioning his hands properly, but it comes off as just really weird. Yeah, which for Kevin Sullivan is just fine. Bischoff tells us that the next match is going to feature Meng, but instead we hear disco music. All right. It's right. Disco Inferno is back dancing in the aisle way, trying to prevent uh, the show from going on. Uh, he sort of sheepishly looks at the, the camera and says like, oh, am I early? Like he acts like this was just, he was supposed to be on, but maybe he just mistimed it. <laughs> Bischoff has an interesting reaction to seeing Disco Inferno, and I'm going to play that reaction for you now. Is making me cough up my toenails. I'm so sick of this. Every week we come out here, he is not scheduled. And I'll tell you what, Ming and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are gross. 
Bischoff, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> you can't say something like that so casually. Like, that's a phrase that people use. Because right. that is disgusting. No one says that. Somehow his body absorbs his toenails <laughs> and then gets them up into, like, his his gullet and he coughs them out. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> to, like, Mongo's benefit is he didn't try to add to that comment. Because <laughs> he, see, he seems like he might try to roll with that and just... It, would just be even worse. Meng comes out uh, in a cape with like a hood on, uh, as a part of the cape. Yeah, and for no, whatever reason, we still don't go to see this mask that we keep seeing in like his still images when they promote his appearances. Yeah, no bear monster yet. Uh, so instead, he just comes out with this goofy hood cape. Yeah. He does some shadow boxing on his way to the ring, which get the eye holes on the hood part all screwed up, and he has to pull it down, which really ruins any intimidation factor he was going for. Next uh, out to face Meng is Jim Duggan, and I just have written down, here comes Jim Duggan, whom I hate. <laughs> I really can't stand Jim Duggan. I don't want to spend any, a lot of time talking about him. Luckily, this match is pretty short, and it, it has a good funny moment in the beginning uh, as uh, Hacksaw has sort of a Lex Luger moment, as we've come to know them on this show, uh. Uh, where Meng is coming to do like a stinger splash in the corner, or just a splash in the corner, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Duggan escapes. He rolls out of the way and Meng hits the turnbuckle. But Duggan, for some reason, even though he's now two feet away, bumps. He's like holding the top rope and then he just falls on his back. And out of the corner of his eye, you can see him look over at Meng and see that Meng is selling. And then he just jumps to his feet like like nothing happened. (laughs) Like he didn't just fall down as if he had taken a move. Right. That that totally is a Luger moment, though. You're right. Eventually, Meng uh, no-sells a body slam and hits a big kick to Hacksaw's face. He then gets a submission win uh, with, like, a nerve hold where he kind of jams his thumb into Hacksaw's neck. Yeah, pretty much. They seem to imply... They're either calling the move a spike or they're saying... But it sounds like Bischoff says he has the spike, referring to the spike that he used uh, to cheat to get a win over Lex. Right. But he doesn't have the spike. It's just his thumb. So they're kind of implying that he's cheating, but he's not. On pay-per-view, machine versus machine, man against man, and now let's go to Hulk Hogan. You know something, Hulk, I mean, and Jimmy Hart, my best friend and confidant, guarder of the WCW heavyweight title. We watched the whole world stand still last Monday night, manioids, as Hulk Hogan, dressed in black, made everybody shake in fear on Nitro, brother. Now everybody knows the evil within Hulk Hogan is real. Now everybody knows the things Kevin Sullivan has told you about me are for real, brother. Because now it's time to take care of all the family business. Don Colleone, Hulk Hogan, brother, is here to protect the training, the prayers, and the vitamins with one fell swoop, brother. You, the giant has never yet looked me in the eyes, brother. He's never yet came face to face to feel the power of Hulkamania, man. He doesn't realize I can stop an elephant in its tracks. He doesn't realize I can make promoters drop to their knees and start crying because Hulkamania's more powerful than their whole stinking promotion. And what he doesn't realize is once I lock up with him in the Motor City, 
the test that I put to his father when I slammed him in front of 94,000 people is nothing compared to what I'm gonna do to him, man. Number one, big stinky giant. You're treading on my turf, brother. You wanna burn all the trees in the forest, man. You wanna eliminate the new little Hulkamaniacs that believe in the training, the prayers and the vitamins, man. And now that you've tried to crack my back, now that you've tried to crack my neck, brother, the stage is set for the ultimate showdown, Jimmy Hart. You know what I've got planned for these two rats. Well, you know, Hulkster, I'm worried, man, because you see what you told me that you were gonna do to yeah. Kevin Sullivan and the giant at Halloween Havoc. I'm worried, Hulkster. Jimmy Hart, you better stay out of this, brother, because one by one, I'm gonna line them up and take them down. First, it's machine against machine in the Motor City. The Bigfoot people are under the gun because if they don't get the job done, I'll snap them in half first and I'll hook up to the monster truck and drag it around the Motor City. But then, big, stinky, worthy, filthy <laughs> giant, it's you and me, brother, eye to eye, fighting for the destiny of wrestling, brother, fighting for the truth that Hulkamania is the strongest force in the universe. And after I press you over my head, after I get you in the launch position, all the Hulkamaniacs, put on your seatbelts, brothers, because we're going for the ride. Once I put the giant down, I'm gonna beat him and bury him in the Motor City, right next to his father. So what you gonna do, big stinky giant and Kevin Sullivan, when the shadow, the darkness, the evil of Hulkamania gouges you. Hulk Hogan like you have never seen him without his... What did you, what did you think of Hogan's promo this week? This is uh, not live. This is obviously pre-taped, probably in Hogan's basement, so he didn't have to come to the arena this week. Uh, what did you think? Uh... <laughs> I do like the attempts that he has to make himself sound more like a villain. Right. In which he uh, refers to his fans now as Hulkamanioids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he says, uh, instead of saying, what are you going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? He says, like, what are you going to do when Hulkamania gouges you? Yeah. And, and then he kind of goes, argh. I got, yeah. <laughs> uh, it re- it's really cheesy. And it's it makes it even cheesier when he says things like stinky and nasty. Because mm-hmm. now that you're trying to be edgy... And right. you're saying stinky, it's ten times more cringeworthy than a white meat baby face saying stinky. Yeah. He also refers to himself as uh, Don Corleone Hulk Hogan <laughs> at some point, which yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that, there was nothing that... I think it's because he says he's going to take care of all family business. Yeah. So I think that's the one connection that I guess he's making. <laughs> uh, also, I, I, I kind of made the note here that at this point in his career, he's starting to look like he might be juicing again. Oh, yeah. His yeah. arms are starting to look pretty damn big again. Yeah. And we talked about that uh, in our premiere episode, how skinny he looked. And he already looks almost nothing like that guy. Yeah. Even even from just September, a month before, he yep. looks a lot bigger. Same is happening with Lex. It's like these guys found their new dealer or something. Or... Or maybe there's it's just not as strict in WCW as it was in WWE. Yeah, maybe Bischoff told them backstage, like, hey, guys, I wouldn't mind if you put on a few pounds, wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing, you know? 
in which he has to like draw it out for Lex Luger. It's like this is the syringe <laughs> you have to put into your arm. Hogan also takes another shot at Vince. That's two weeks in a row. Uh, now he this week he says that he can make promoters drop to their knees and cry because Hulkamania is bigger than their entire promotion. Yet it's the promoters that have the big egos and not him. Right. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this promo, though, is Jimmy Hart saying that Hogan has told him privately what he's going to do to Sullivan and the Giant, and it scares Jimmy Hart. <laughs> and I really like that because publicly Hogan is yelling about going to heaven and fighting Gorgeous George. Mm-hmm. So what kind of crazy shit is he not even telling us that he's telling Jimmy Hart? Because the stuff he's saying to us is fucking bonkers insane. (laughs) I would love to hear the stuff that's scaring Jimmy behind the scenes. Out comes Arn Anderson as we finish up that promo. uh, And he's throwing up fours, as always. Uh, He's got Brian Pillman with him. Yep. They're here to take on Flair and Sting. Question mark? We'll find out after the commercial. Flair enters uh, where the announcers mostly just wonder about where Sting is. And it looks like uh, that Flair is going to go it alone as Sting does not really come out. Uh, at this point, before the match begins, they cut to a fan in the crowd who is holding up the f- the horseman symbol and like holding back tears. He, <laughs> seeing these guys fight each other is just tearing this guy apart. Oh. It is more than he can handle. Yeah. It makes sense that they're in Georgia because... <laughs> Only in Georgia could a guy be this, like, just fucking torn apart by watching the horsemen fight each other. Um, spe- speaking of, like, uh, the feelings of the fans, but because um, last week we were in Chicago, so that's a completely different uh, region of the country. But I, I, I was just starting to realize over these first few weeks that every single crowd, no matter where they are, loves Ric Flair. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, true. Yeah. Um, and it's really going back and seeing, I mean, I would still kind of say this was Flair's heyday, even though he was in his mid forties, he was still he had a long heyday. His heyday was a long. Yeah. But, but going back and just seeing like how over he was and how he, he always had great uh, matches, Mm -hmm. but, but he was just being held in these feuds that just weren't that important. He just wasn't, he, I mean, he's Hogan is the one that took the belt from him yet. He never tries to get it back. Yeah. Well, they did. I think when it first happened, they had like four rematches. Yeah. And Hogan just beat him every single time. And then it was like, well, no one's ever going to pay to see that match again. (laughs) That's true. Flair starts off the match real hot. And uh, he gets Pillman in the corner and starts chopping him. And at one point, he chops him so hard that Randy Anderson, the referee, who was standing a good three to four feet away literally falls over as if he has been chopped in the corner. <laughs> it's amazing. I rewound it because the uh, network has like the 10 second rewind feature or whatever. Right. I rewound it like seven times because it was so goddamn funny. Flair is an absolute house of fire as he chops and punches both Pillman and arm uh, before strutting and playing to the crowd. He looks so happy to be fighting these two guys on his own. Yeah. Like he just could not be more thrilled with the situation he's than not, to be in a handicap match against these guys. He's not fighting back tears, is he? No. It's not it's he's not tearing himself apart. No, he is so excited. It's really <laughs> it really gets you into the match to be just like he's like, fuck yeah, I finally get my hands in these assholes and he's so <laughs> pleased with himself. And he for most of the match dominates them. Yeah. Bischoff tells us that clearly uh, Flair isn't trying to set up Sting. 
Because if he were, he would not be out here fighting uh, in a two-on-one situation. They really, really emphasize that this is the reason. This is like the story between Flair and Sting is like so explained to us right. during this match. It's it's borderline insulting. It's like, I get it. I get that there's this tension between the right. two. Flair continues to dominate the heels as he tosses Pillman on the guardrail. Uh, the heel regroup. The heels regroup, and the crowd starts a "We Want Sting" chant. Mm-hmm. So uh, the crowd is really. I mean, you're right that it's mostly for guys like Flair, but they're they're the opposite of the Chicago crowd in that they're very much playing the role that WCW would like them to play. Yeah, they're booing and cheering appropriately. Right. Brain tells us that uh, if we were scared of Hogan before. Just wait until we see him having embraced the dark side. <laughs> and as much as I've been making fun of the Hogan dark side stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I like that from Brain. And it, what it really reminded me of is how great Brain was as a classic heel in that he would build up the guys that he hated. Yeah. He hated Hogan and uh-huh. talked shit about Hogan all the time. But he still made Hogan out to be a fantastic wrestler yep. who he's saying, you should be afraid of Hulk Hogan now because he's a great wrestler. Mm-hmm. And now that he's embraced the dark side, you should be even more afraid of him. You should be as afraid as Jimmy Hart is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's such a lost art in wrestling. Like nowadays, the guys just, uh, you know, hey, fucking Kevin Owens, you're fat. You know, right. that doesn't build up Kevin Owens. That doesn't, you need to be like, you need to find a way to tear the other guy down Well, you're actually, if you if you read between the lines, you're building him up. Yeah. Because if you say a guy's a piece of shit and then you beat him, you beat a piece of shit. Who cares? Yeah. This is my main problem with John Cena. Well, one of my many main problems with John <laughs> Cena. Wait a second. Uh, and we're not, we're not here to talk about wrestling nowadays. But mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, I appreciated seeing a master at work in building up the guy that he ostensibly hates. Yes. That was a great job. At this point, Flair gets uh, Arn Anderson in the figure four. Which, by the way, Eric Bischoff refers to as the double-barreled, semi-automatic figure four leg lock. <laughs> I'm, I, I might need to watch it again, but I also think that it looked like Flair screwed up putting the figure four on. Oh, he, he did. Yeah. yeah, and that's such I, a weird, rare thing to see. That, I, I, I mean, he's been using that finisher for years. I, I kind of felt that he got like so worked up in the moment that, that he was like, I got to put this on like as fast as possible. Yeah. And he like goes for the wrong leg. Like when does Flair go for the wrong leg? <laughs> yeah, it's really, I think you're right. I think it's just total adrenaline Yeah, because the crowd's hot. He's been hot the whole match. Yeah. Um, Pillman gets up on the top rope and tries to dive onto Flair to break up the figure four. Flair manages to roll out of the way, but it does kind of effectively end the figure four. Uh, Flair tosses Pillman from the ring and then gets up on the top rope and hit Arn with, hits Arn with a double axe handle. Uh, later on, uh, just a moments later, he's coming off the ropes and Pillman kicks him in the back of the head with a cheap shot, which allows Arn to hit him with a spine buster. So at that point, Flair is laid out, and who should come booking his way down to the ring but Sting? It's the man they call Sting. The crowd goes nuts. They are so happy that Sting has decided to uh, take Flair's offer and tag with him in this match. Yeah, yeah, but I think the way that this match has been playing out just really hyped up for the sh- for Sting showing up. The fans just lose their minds. Right. It was yeah. The match was really great. It followed kind of a cool cool formula where Flair is dominating. 
but as soon as the heels kind of get a moment in, uh, Sting comes out and it, it sells the story that Sting has been sort of testing Flair to see, you know, if Flair is serious, if, if about needing his help and this isn't all a setup for a swerve. Right. Um, so as soon as Flair is starting to get his ass kicked, Sting doesn't let it go on too long. He comes out and then the match sort of switches from the story that was being told before, which is Flair all fired up dominating these two other guys. And now it's a match more about waiting for the hot tag, mm-hmm. waiting for Flair to get over there and get Sting in this match. And when he finally does, the crowd goes insane and Sting comes in and kicks the shit out of the heels Randy Anderson again falls down selling a move uh, that was nowhere really even near him. So Sting is also capable of hitting a guy so hard that a referee oh. 10 feet away falls over. Oh, I, th- I had a note here that the ref just like fell over because he was in the bad position. I think based on the fact that it happened earlier, I think he's selling again. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that's that's I think that's worse. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Each heel eats two sp- Stinger splashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sting then hits Arn with an atomic drop while Pillman gets up to the top rope. A kid in the front row uh, is just really intensely pointing at Pillman, getting up on the top rope and trying to get Sting's attention so yeah. Sting doesn't get hit from behind. <laughs> I just love I love kids at wrestling shows. Just, yeah. Look out, he's coming! <laughs> uh, Sting manages to hit the rope and crotch Pillman. Uh, on the top rope. Mongo tells us that will hit him right where he lives, right in the family jewels. And I just noted that because that is the exact quote that he said last week when Arn Anderson got crotched on the top rope during the cage match. The right where he lives? Right where he lives, right in the family jewels. Said in that exact same order. Uh, he said it <laughs> two weeks in a row. So that is a... Mongo has a very practiced reaction to a guy getting hit in the ball. So it's someone's fault last week not to point that out in the in the notes. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't point it out to him, he's just going to yep. use it again. Yep. The heels, the, the only problem I really have with this match is the ending. Uh, the heels just get counted out, and it comes across yeah. very sudden and surprising. Uh-huh. And as hot as this match was, to suddenly have a count-out ending... It makes sense because they're going to ha- just have this match again at Halloween Havoc. So I guess you have to have a reason for it to happen again. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a good match with a really abrupt and weak ending. Yeah, and also um, the ending is kind of like if you watch, if you watch Randy Anderson, he's doing the quick 10 count. Right, the, the 10 count that when you see it, you know it's actually going to get to 10. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, we get a little promo in the ring from Flair and Sting to hype up the match at Halloween Havoc. Let's listen to that promo now. All right, I'm going to have to agree with our broadcast analyst, the comments. There was a little house cleaning taking place. As you know, Ric Flair and Sting have agreed to be partners against Anderson and Pillman at Halloween Havoc inside two weeks from now. However, Sting, I want to point out for the record, there was a great deal and may even still be a reluctance on your part. Well, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. That just might be out the door, but I'll tell you, there wasn't a soul in this entire world that thought that I could trust the nature boy. So, I sat back watching the monitor and real close because I could have come down at a snap of a finger. You notice I didn't let it go just too far, right? Keep that in mind. So I sat back there watching and I found out you got a lot of guts. There you were against your ex-brother. Me, brother. You against Arn Anderson and Pillman showing some heart. 
The heart was pounding right out of your chest. I can't believe this. And because you got guts, and because you were out here by yourself, I know now you're walking in straight and narrow, and I think you're shooting straight with a stinger. So at oh, Halloween oh, Havoc, no this was no just way. a warm-up tonight. He's you and deluded. I are going to destroy those two. You wanted my hand? High-five me right now. High what five. about it, nature boy? All right. Hey, how about that? Brother Stinger, uh, uh, I, I just wanted you to believe me, man. What is this? You are the greatest. Let's hear it for the Stinger. I'm getting nauseous. This is the first time I've seen Brain speechless. Boy, Ric Flair, and this audience loves it. Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, Mongo, let's get back to you, gentlemen. After that, we go to the announcers at their desk to talk us out of the show. Uh, Bobby tells us that we shouldn't we shouldn't believe that these two can get along. And he reminds us that a slap on the back is only 12 inches from a kick in the butt. Yes. Which, <laughs> I don't know how in that 12 inches the slap becomes a kick. <laughs> right. But uh, I guess I can see kind of what he's going for. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really interesting that th- this whole match and the momentum of the match was hyping up that St- Sting could trust Flair. And once that cult- like uh, culminated at the end, then the announcers keep saying, like, there's no way he should be able to trust Rick Flair. Right. Next week should be pretty exciting as we are going to be able to see Sting and Lex Luger versus Harlem Heat. Uh, Harlem Heat certainly looked impressive in their other showing uh, so far on our podcast. Yep. And uh, I always like seeing Sting. And I guess we'll see if Lex Luger and Stevie Ray are in the ring at the same time. Oh. What could happen? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps more exciting than that, we are going to see Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko tag against Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero. And Hulk Hogan will be live in the building next week. Without his mustache. With, with, I yeah, I don't know how long it takes him to grow that thing back. Presumably, he probably could be well on his way to having the mustache back by now if he wanted. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the week after, when it was shaved, he could have basically had the mustache right. back. But he was clean shaven, like, well... You did this to me, so that's the way it's going to go, brother. He just must wake up every day and shave himself just angrily, <laughs> just so furious, you know? When he's thinking of those really awful things he's going to do. <laughs> and muttering them to a terrified <laughs> Jimmy Hart. In our Raw report, Triple H defeated Doink. The Smoking Guns defeated PG-13. Dean Douglas defeated a jobber. And Bret Hart defeated Isaac Yankum in a cage match where Jerry Lawler was suspended in his own tiny little cage. Doesn't wow. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound like really missed much that week. No, this I can't imagine that that was any better than this Nitro, because this Nitro was really good. Mm-hmm. So we've got an instance where Nitro sounds like, I mean, I haven't watched Raw, so it, it's not completely fair to make a comparison, but just reading it on paper, it sounds like Nitro kicked its ass in terms of quality. Yeah. So, of course, in our ratings roundup, Raw defeated Nitro 2.5 to 2.2. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I guess people don't know ahead of time, uh, you know, which show is going to be better. But mm-hmm. if you caught any, if you were in a commercial break, if you had switched over and you saw that Benoit Guerrero match, yeah. I don't know how you ever go back over to USA to see what Raw is doing, you know? Right. Uh, what was your match of the night? Well, I think it's a pretty foregone conclusion that it was Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. Yes, that is definitely a uh, universal choice here at 20 Years of Nitro. That was an incredible match. Definitely the best Nitro match that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Who was your MVP of the show? Boy, that that's a little tougher. Um, 
I actually I didn't even write this one down because I just wasn't sure of who to put for this. I I would say, based on on um, the crowd reaction and uh, how the main event played out for the most part, mm-hmm. I, I'll I'll give it again to the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Sounds good. I am going to give my MVP to Chris Benoit. Uh, that match was incredible, as we've mentioned. Uh, Eddie Guerrero looked great as well, but he did have the one slight botch that we mentioned, mm-hmm. and Benoit had that power bomb. Uh, which might be the best power bomb we've ever seen, except for maybe a couple of Chris Jericho. He had some great power bombs when he first joined WWF, and he was doing the like the power bomb and then pick him back up and power bomb him again. Oh sure, uh, some of those were pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But this Benoit one sticks out in my mind as just an absolutely incredible uh, version of the move or execution of the move, I should yeah. say. And and as I can remember throughout the years of Monday Nitro, there's gonna be a lot of great power bombs done onto Eddie Guerrero. I, I, I feel like for some reason, Eddie Guerrero is just really good at selling those two. That could be. Maybe I'm here I am giving credit to Chris Benoit for the amazing power bomb, and maybe it's all Eddie. But in <laughs> any case, I've, it's it's official. It's down. Chris Benoit is my MVP <laughs> of the week. Uh, so overall, I thought the show was tremendous. And in fact, I would like to nominate this to be in the Nitro Hall of Fame. Oh but, my. but before you cast your vote, okay, I wanted to just put it out there. Uh, that the Nitro Hall of Fame, as you mentioned, it's this is a democracy on mm-hmm. 20 Years of Nitro. Uh, and I, I don't want you to feel any pressure. I'm not going to be hurt. <laughs> I didn't produce this episode. I don't want it to ever be that an episode makes it in because one of us feels bad about vetoing another's choice. Okay. So I'm nominating it, but I'm putting it out there that my feelings will not be hurt if you feel that this does not meet the standard of excellence that the Hall of Fame... Uh, should engender in its episodes. Ooh, boy, um, that's tough because there, there, there's definitely some really good highlights. Uh, Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero is obviously really good. The uh, the main event up until the ending is really good. Uh, we also we also have Meng versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That's the weak point. Um, but we also had we also had a Disco Inferno appearance. Yeah. And we had that DDP kind of turning chicken shit into chicken salad at the beginning yeah, with that pin and the and the confetti gun. Uh, well, the, the things I usually think of is, uh, did they advance feuds? Mm-hmm. Feuds did get advanced. Uh, Dom Dallas Page versus Johnny B. Bad. Um, the, the Flair versus Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. Um, Hogan and the big, stinky, nasty giant. <laughs> Uh, we have a great we have a, a a great match Benoit versus Guerrero. Um, boy, you know what? I I I am going to concur with you. All right, that is... <laughs> I did. You you could tell I was thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, you were really on the fence, and I'm surprised because I as soon as I was done with this episode, I said that is the best episode we've seen so far. Uh, I liked it more than our previous entry into the Hall of Fame uh-huh. um, because I felt like its weak points weren't as weak as uh, Luger versus Randy Savage yeah, from that episode. True. And I thought that its high point, um, the Benoit Guerrero match, was better than the Malenko Guerrero match. That's true. Uh, so I felt like this certainly deserved it. I'm happy to see it go in. And I'm happy that we're doing this podcast because <laughs> it, I got to watch this episode and I had a lot of fun doing so. Yeah, and so I guess we're going to see 
the previous times when we've had a Hall of Fame show, we've been followed up with a Hall of Shame entry. So that I guess we'll have to see at the 23rd, which is going to be the last Nitro before yeah, the Yeah, next week is our go-home show. And uh, I won't spoil it uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it and doesn't know anything about WCW. But if you do know about WCW, I'm just going to tantalize you by telling you that our next episode will feature the debut of the Yate. <laughs> oh! So uh, if that sounds exciting, we will see you next week where the big boys play on 20 Years of Nitro. The bad day, the bad day.